Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. Now more college football talk with the king of college football. It's the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. show Heath Klein in for Chuck today and of course as we get closer to some of the big games coming up in the weekend we're trying to get you ready for all of them and of course no game bigger than what goes on between Alabama and Michigan you got the Wolverines as the number one seed in the playoff you've got them trying to break through and win their first game in the playoff after particularly last year, the TCU loss, just really hard to explain. So are they ready now with a couple of years experience to get it done? Or does Alabama keep doing what Alabama has often done in this thing and win? We will check in now in Ann Arbor. Matt Missler is with WTKA Radio in Ann Arbor, holds it down for them in the afternoons. He joins us now here on the Chuck Oliver Show. Matt, how are you? Keith, Merry Christmas to you, your loved ones, and everyone at the station, my man. How you doing? Ah, oh, great, man. Again, we've got we've got fun stuff going on right now. We got we got games every day, but especially we've got some really interesting ones to talk about. And and let's just start with with Michigan and their perspective on this game because I think a lot of us, when we saw Michigan react, was it more about oh geez, it's Alabama, or was it man, we kind of thought we were going to get a layup with FSU, and it turns out we don't. How, how much of it would you think percentage wise was oh geez, it's Alabama versus man, a layup would have been nice. You know, I, I think a lot of it, and, and maybe this is the the personal side for me, is I think it was more shock that Alabama got the four seed over uh, an undefeated Florida State. Like, I do think that. The mentality is, you know, almost a we'll take on anyone that we put ahead of us. And I think the expectation was an undefeated ACC champion of Florida State. But with Alabama, you know, how they beat Georgia in the SEC title game, you looked at it and you saw Alabama. It's, you know, it's definitely a, you know, a, a big time matchup. And I think we're having. You know, having that Alabama-Michigan matchup, a rematch from the Citrus Bowl, what, 2019 or 2020, it definitely has some some eye appeal. And I I think it's more of a, especially when the reaction came out from the hotel hotel banquet room, was, wow, Alabama's in. All right, well, let's get ready for it. No more... No more Georgia, no more uh, Georgia roll, you know, Georgia drill. It's time for Alabama drill at this point. And look, it's an Alabama team that if they play their very best, they could certainly beat Michigan. But the reality is this is an Alabama team that one of the ways that they won the SEC title game is that they got their penalty numbers down. But over the course of the year, they got a bunch of games. They got eight, nine penalties, self-induced mistakes. This is certainly not a team that has shown us week in, week out they're anything close to a classic Alabama team. So as you've spent more time on Alabama, as they've spent more time on Alabama, what do they see when they look at the Crimson Tide? Well, I think the big thing that uh, that Michigan has been paying attention to has obviously been the big star in the backfield. That's number four, Jalen Monroe. Uh, you know, yesterday the, there was a availability with uh, Coach Harbaugh with the media uh, after the, uh, the little parade that they had over at the World Tappy's place on Earth, and he gave extremely high praise to uh, to to Jalen, calling him uh, 
a well-polished Alex Orgy. And Alex is, uh, here at Michigan is, you know, a sophomore quarterback who got got amazing wheels just like Milrow does. He's got a heck of an arm as well, too. So to have that high of a praise where, you know, Coach has said that, you know, Alex Orgy is probably the best-kept secret. And, uh, oops, I revealed that secret apparently. But uh, the <laughs> having the... Uh, you know, just just being an amazing athlete on the team, one of the he's called one of the best on the team. That the, the, the attention is going to be on him. But you know, the way that Michigan has played over the years, uh, trying to keep a clean slate and uh, just play their style of football, that's obviously been the one thing that Michigan is trying to focus on. But you know, defensively, Alabama is is a great team down there in the SEC. So. I think a lot of it is trying to make sure that the, the trenches are kind of kept uh, upright, especially after the loss of Zach Zinter uh, after that Ohio State game. I know they've got a guy with him that they feel like can simulate for practice purposes what Milrow does to an extent. Is there anybody you could point to, though, that they have played this year that in a game situation when it's full speed would be in any way like Milrow and how he plays? Oh, man. Um, you know, I don't think that there really is. Uh, if if you were to try to go back and try to figure it out, maybe you'd have – and then this is kind of, you know, because Milrow is kind of almost in a, in a world of his own uh, in terms of the talent that he has. Maybe you could look back potentially at the Rutgers game when uh, – when Michigan had to handle their quarterback, and his name is escaping me off the hand right now, uh, Whipset, that's his name, uh, that if, you know, an amazing rusher has got a great arm as well, too. I think the difference, though, is that Wimsat doesn't have that kind of offensive line that Alabama has that kind of kept Milrow uh, as close to clean as possible this year. So I think you kind of make a comparison to Jalen Milrow as far as what Michigan's played this year. I kind of look at Wimsett, maybe to a degree Penn State's quarterback. But again, I think, you know, the, the style of play, Milrow is almost in a, in a it, it just in a, at a level of his own at this point right now. That's the thing to me is I just look at them and that's the biggest question I've got in this game. I've got plenty of questions for Alabama because they've just been so so inconsistent week in, week out, even game in, game out. You know, you look at a game like Arkansas, they played one good half. It was the first half. You look at uh, just a week earlier, I believe it was Tennessee, they played a good half. It was the second half. But this team really didn't show until right at the end of the season that they could put 60 good minutes together with any consistency. As I say, they've had major problems a lot of the year with penalties. So I don't feel like I know what Alabama is. I feel like I have a better idea what Michigan is. But this is the one thing I haven't seen Michigan do, at least from the outside. So I don't know how they handle a guy who can just make some spectacular improvisational plays as well as do stuff within the structure. So I was wondering if there's anybody you felt like at all really they'd seen that would would apply to that. Is there anything at all about Michigan? Because as I say, it it feels like you kind of know what Michigan is. Is there anything that you feel like is a layer of the onion that isn't peeled back yet, that they haven't had to show because with the exception of Penn State and Ohio State, they were almost never even going into a game thinking they'd be tested is there still stuff for them to reveal that's not obvious to somebody like me? Uh, I mean, it, there always seems to be. It, it seems to, uh, and, and maybe, maybe this, this is the 
you know, maybe the, the, the fan side of me that looked at this over the years where, you know, some of the playbook has kind of been covered in dust that, you know what, let's go ahead and let's blow off the dust off of this play that we haven't run this year or something that we haven't run since, you know, at the beginning of the season. We saw that uh, last year with TCU that they tried to run a couple of trickeration plays and it didn't work out against TCU. Now, I would say that, you know, what we've seen so far with Michigan, especially those last three games of the season with, you know, when Coach Arbaugh was, uh, had that three-game suspension for the Big Ten, that, you know, that was Sharon Moore, the offensive coordinator, uh, the offensive uh, side of the ball has been able to pull off, has been very impressive. I think that Michigan did kind of, they, they, they got a little almost pantsed, uh, over in Maryland the week before Ohio State, but I think what we've seen has almost been, I, I guess you would say, almost a generic playbook as far as what Michigan has been able to pull off. And as long, and honestly, as long as Michigan doesn't, you know, beat themselves up over, you know, over themselves, you know, I think really that's kind of what the issue was last year was that they tried to get a little too fancy against uh, Texas Christian that they didn't you know, go to what worked for them. And that was running plays and getting those short yardage passes that really kind of paid off for them. So we'll see if, uh, I, I don't really think that, that, that they'll have to pull out some trickeration like they did last year, but I have been, I've been wrong in the past before he well, that makes you unique in sports radio, Matt. I, I don't know how you are letting us all down by being the guy who gets something wrong. I, I know certainly no one on this show has in the past. <clears throat> uh, Matt Missile with us. Never, never. Yes, absolutely not. Um, hey, I, I'm the guy who had the under ticket on nine and a half wins for Washington over here. So I, I've got it nailed down. Uh, Matt Missile with us from WTKA Radio in Ann Arbor for a couple more minutes here on the Chuck Oliver Show. So, Matt, they've been to the playoff the last two years, and – Against Georgia, never really felt like they had a great chance in that game to to get it done. But, again, that's the first time you think you learn. Maybe next year you break through. Last year, losing to a TCU team that they were a sizable favorite over, that a lot of people felt like, boy, they caught a real break getting them instead of Ohio State because a lot of people felt like you know, Georgia kind of got the tougher draw even though they were the higher seed, and they let that game get away. And obviously a week later, Georgia just turns TCU into mulch, and it even more looks like a missed opportunity for Michigan. Is there anything from those two performances when they had the month to get ready with playoff pressure that you think they learn from or applies to this year? Yeah, I definitely think that when it got, I think, you know, the Georgia game itself back in 21, that one was, you know, let's just be honest here, Georgia was just a, you know, almost a team of destiny at that point. With TCU, yeah, they're, they're, I think that a lot of people almost looked at that as going, oh, this should be an easy layup, should be a, a pretty fairly sizable dub for Michigan, and they'll just go play Georgia down at SoFi, you know, down in uh, Southern California championship. But again, I do think that a lot of the, I guess, offensive plays that were kind of run, some of them, again, that were probably covered in dust going into that game, no one really looked at that, you know, maybe yes, maybe TCU just kind of looked at things and went, Hey, just play our style of ball defensively. They looked amazing. And, uh, you know, I give JJ McCarthy credit in that game uh, last year that 
even after a couple mistakes, it didn't rattle him completely that he kind of kept it, the, the Wolverines in contention in, in that game. But, I mean, that should have been a win for Michigan last year. But, you know, TCU had the better game, and Michigan, I think, had gotten a little too ahead of themselves and tried to be a little fancy, tried to go for some style points when they didn't need to go for style points. They just had to play their style of football, and that was it. Last couple of minutes here with Matt. A couple of quick things, Matt. One, uh, for at least now, the Connor Stallions stuff, everything tied into all of that, it seems to have quieted down. You never know. Somebody might drop a story five minutes before the game for Mac's attention. But does for the first time, maybe all year, Harbaugh's, he's not suspended. No one's talking about him getting suspended. The NFL talk is just perpetually there every year with him. So I don't know how much of a distraction that even is at this point. Is this the most clear-headed and normal maybe Michigan's been able to feel all year? I would probably say so. I mean, and, and again, I, I know it's kind of been a little, you know, brushed under the rug, so to speak. But, I mean, the, the NCAA is saying that they're still looking at the uh, the infractions from the COVID recruiting back in 2020, that there could be something that the NCAA could dig up with that. But I think that's right now in the rear view until after the season is done. But I do think that with the distractions out of the way that this is probably the, as like you said, probably the most clear-minded that Michigan has played all year where they didn't have to worry about who's coaching the team, who's going to be the one in charge, who's going to, you know, who's going to be the quarterback. We haven't had to deal with that this year, luckily, knock on wood. But this is probably the, the, the one time that Michigan – does not have to worry about distractions, that they can play their football, they've got their coach, they've got their quarterback, their offensive line might, you know, saying they're, they're you know, one of their other, their all-American uh, linemen in Zach Center. Everyone's coming in fairly healthy, and this should be one of those times that you would think, on paper, Michigan should win this one, but there's always that element of why they play the game not just on paper. Yeah, and McCarthy in particular, I know there's some people who maybe didn't watch because, again, Michigan's games until Penn State were not really compelling viewing for many people who aren't go-blue loyal people. So uh, people got to look at McCarthy and kind of like, hey, what's the big deal supposed to be about this guy? And maybe don't realize he was injured there. As far as we know, he's back to full capability now? To my knowledge, there is no injury designation. It sounds like it. Because Blake Corum had a, a toy drive up here a couple weeks back, and I believe he, I believe he missed that. But I think it was more for illness. But I believe he's at 100 percent ready to go. I think the only player, to my knowledge, that was going to be a question mark wasn't on the offense; it was on the defensive side with Will Johnson. But it sounds like he's going to be a full go uh, on Monday afternoon, early evening. Last thing for you, just simple question. You kind of already alluded to it. Do you think they get it done or not? The uh, the optimistic Wolverine hashtag Go Blue guy says yes they get it done, but I keep looking at the the trajectory that Alabama has had and where Michigan has been. It's almost like they're meeting at that one crossroads right now. I, I I'm going to give Michigan a minor edge in this one, but I think this is going to be one of those games month, next Monday from five essentially all the way until midnight with the Sugar Bowl afterwards. Get your popcorn, get your butt comfortable, and get ready for some great CFP football because I do think that we have got ourselves two amazing matchups. I'd give a slight edge to Michigan. Again, consider maybe it's a homer pick here, 
But I do think that I think it really is going to come down to the trenches. Can they? Can Alabama stop uh, the backfield as well too? And can Michigan hold that? You know that fierce defensive front that Alabama has. So I'll give Michigan a slight edge in this one, but you know that whatever the, the spread is now, like three or three and a half. I'm not. Good thing I'm not a betting man. Unfortunately, Heath. So. Definitely going to be a must-watch game, no doubt about it. Yeah, going to be a lot of fun. Matt Missler will be an interesting Tuesday next week in Ann Arbor, one way or the other for sure. You'll hear him on WTKA there if you want to check him out online or if you're there in the greater Ann Arbor area. Matt, appreciate it, man. Enjoy the game, and I'm sure we'll talk to you in 2024. Absolutely, Heath. Happy New Year to you, to your family, and everyone at the station. There you go. That's uh, Matt checking in from up in Ann Arbor. So heard from part of the uh, equation for the playoffs. We'll have more on the other playoff teams coming up as we go here on the Chuck Oliver Show. On the other side, to me, one of my favorite quotes, I even know if it's real, but it's always attributed to Mike Tyson. Yesterday, a Georgia assistant coach kind of put it into practice a little bit on the Internet. We'll explain coming up here on the Chuck Oliver Show. Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. Chuck Oliver Show. He's flying in for Chuck, hanging out here on a Thursday. So there's a quote that I've always liked. It's attributed to Mike Tyson. Maybe he said it. Maybe it's one of these apocryphal things, but it's always been attributed to him. And the quote is, social media made you all way too comfortable with disrespecting people and not getting punched in the face for it. And it's true. It's absolutely true. I'm not advocating violence, but there's no doubt. We see it every day. People are more than willing to get on social media and just be unbelievably unpleasant and hateful to people they don't even know because I guess it feeds their ego or something. I don't know. Look, you might very well disrespect agree with a lot of things that I say or Chuck says or anybody says that's in the media. And if you want to say, hey, man, I, you know, you're wrong, that's fine. If you want to say you're wrong and you're fat and you're ugly, well, then, you know, you might be right, but that doesn't mean that there's any need to say it. It's just kind of personal and, and nasty and unpleasant. And the odds are that if you saw me somewhere, you probably wouldn't lead with that. You'd be like, man, you're wrong. You know, Rodemaker's making exactly the right choice to decide to sit out this game. You're, you're just wrong. You're, you're wrong. You, and I, again, that's fine. I'm not telling you I'm right all the time. But you wouldn't probably say, by the way, nice hairline, buddy. Online, man, anything goes. And while it happens to any of us that are in a media role, it happens all the time to coaches, too. Look at the kind of stuff if a team is not winning and a coach sends something out like, Merry Christmas to you and yours. There'll be people like, hey, Merry Christmas, coach. And I'll be, well, it would have been a Merry Christmas if you would have won a few more games and you make $9 million a year. You know, you get that all the time. And so yesterday we had a situation where a Georgia coach saw something online. He just said, yeah, you know what? I'm going to just kind of stick my head in and say, hey, buddy, you talking about me? The tweet in question was sent by a guy who is not just some random troll on the Internet. His name is Damian Parson. 
He is, according to his bio on social media, a national scout for what is called the Draft Network, and he is the host of the Locked on the NFL Draft podcast. And he yesterday sent out the following tweet, and I quote, Brock Bauer's potential is legit. That said, I do not like how UGA used him. I can't wait to see him in an NFL offense. I do not like how UGA used Brock Bowers. And so Todd Hartley, who, of course, coaches tight ends for the dogs, responded with, what? And what do you know? Just like that, that tweet's been deleted. (laughs) You, You go back and you look at that guy's feed after he realizes that someone who coached Brock Bowers and knows about how they used him has called him on what is just, there's no other way to put it, a really, really poorly formed opinion, has called him on it, and now Georgia fans are seeing it, and Georgia fans are coming to share their opinion of his eh, not exactly well-thought-out opinion. Yeah, you'll you'll see all the other tweets from yesterday are there, but uh, that one on uh, the dude's account. Now, I'm not going to I'm not gonna even give you, I give you his name, I'm not going to give you his account because I don't want to send people there. I'm not trying to get people to harass the guy. But, uh, but man, that tweet got deleted and deleted in a hurry. We've got this industry that's formed of these guys who have never actually been NFL scouts for a team. In many cases, have never coached in any level, but they've just sort of declared themselves scouts. And I- I'm willing to listen to scouts. That doesn't mean scouts are always right. Even the real scouts obviously miss on stuff all the time. Otherwise, NFL teams get all their picks right. I'm willing to listen to a guy like uh, Daniel Jeremiah that's worked in the NFL and, and now is with the media. I'm willing to listen to a guy like that that has a scouting background more than I am just a random guy. But some dude who just sort of has declared himself a scout and you say, well, who'd you scout for? Um, myself. It's like a self-employed model on Instagram. Eh, you're, not, you're not really a scout. You'd like to be a scout. They're not the same thing. Score one for Todd Hartley yesterday. Tonight in Arkansas, there's a mother tucking in her daughter and turning off the light. A business owner is burning the midnight oil. An at-home dinner date is plating up possibility. And it's all happening under one roof. How? The power of a conversation. Like the one John from Integrity Solutions had with First Horizon Bank about his vision for a sustainable mixed-use building. Now it's not just words, it's life. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash John. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. The king of college football, no matter where you go, with a new Southern Sports Today app. Catch the best college football conversation in the South everywhere with the SST live stream and daily podcast. Downloaded now at the App Store and the Google Play Store. Now more of the best college football talk in the country. It's the Chuck Oliver Show. Chuck Oliver Show. Keith Klein in for Chuck this week, and now we head back down to South Florida. We heard the FSU side of the equation last hour. Now it's time to check in with Seth Emerson. He covers Georgia as well as the SEC 
for the athletic and he is on the scene down there joins us now here on the chuck oliver show seth how are you man i'm doing well heath i appreciate you making the time uh this morning you got a chance to hear from carson beck and obviously we we know that carson beck is playing in the game we know carson beck is playing in 2024 but maybe some thoughts from beck that changed the narrative i guess a little bit about how we got to that place yeah, I don't, I don't. I mean, it depends on who was believing the narrative. Uh, you know, th- this idea that Georgia or people affiliated with Georgia, however it works now with NIL, could give Carson Beck enough money to change his mind about going pro never added up from a math standpoint. Like, it, it, I think it could matter for some guys that are on, you know, the periphery of between second day and third day pick or, you know, but even if I think honestly, if anybody is pretty sure they're going to be a second day pick, go second or third round, they're probably still going pro. I'm not sure the NIL dollars are there that people think there are, but Beck, you know, without being too specific, did shoot it down. You know, he, he didn't throw out some of the money figures that, some people have been throwing out, but he, he said it wasn't a main factor that he, he basically decided a few days after the SEC championship, he was going to come back and that there were a lot of other you know, variables there that mattered, um, including the one that I thought, I mean, beyond there were no assurances of being a first round pick. Uh, I thought the one, and I asked him about this too, and he confirmed it is that look, he spent three years as Georgia's, backup not playing essentially except in garbage time in in 2022 and he got a chance to start this year and from a comfort level i never thought and he confirmed this when asked about it that he'd feel great about giving that up for another year to go to the nfl where he very well might hold a clipboard for at least a year yeah i mean look there's a lot to accomplish in his own right and it's very possible next year there's other guys that'll be in the conversation too, but he could be the number one quarterback next yeah. year with another year on top of this. Most people, best case scenario right now would probably have him in the running for about fourth quarterback in this year's draft. Yeah. So that could make a huge difference in, in money and prestige and a lot of things, not to mention win a Heisman, possibly win a national title that is you as the lead dog. No, there's, there's, there's so much he could accomplish with another year that I, I would certainly think it makes sense for him to stick unless he had felt just a desperate financial pull or was the kind of kid who's just ready to get out of school. And sometimes that happens, and, and yeah. that's fine. But I, there was one particular, I don't want to quote who, but somebody somebody helpfully put out a report. They said, oh, this is just a rumor, not a report, and then proceeded to splash a dollar figure out there. And it's like, you, you can't do that. You're, you're, you're putting it out there as a media member. That makes it a report. Just because you're saying it's a rumor, it still turns into a report. I, I felt it was really unfair to the kid if you don't have actual reporting to back it up, to throw it out there and turn it into a report anyway, I saw he got put in a really unfortunate place there where it made him look like a mercenary when it doesn't sound like that's really where this thing was. Yeah, and hopefully, in a lot of ways, this is kind of a media story, but hopefully enough people realize that these reports weren't coming from you know, established places where it yeah, it, it wasn't the New York Times, let's put it that way, which is the company I work for now. And it wasn't the Washington Post or ESPN. Um, it, it's, you know, and, and it was, I'm not sure real dollar figures were being thrown out by anybody claiming to have sources. I think there was also some 
like just assumptions being taken. Um, and but you know, in, in the social media world, we've got to be discerning over what you know. If you see something in print on social media, kind of be discerning on well, where is this coming from, and who is reporting this, and what is the chances this is actually true. Seth Emerson's with us from The Athletic. Again, covers Georgia as well as the SEC uh, down there with the dogs for their game with FSU. So, Seth, uh, it's pretty clear there's not going to be some formal announcement of exactly who's not playing and who is. It certainly appears that Mims and Bowers are the most likeliest to not play, but Georgia fans got some good news this morning. Lab McConkie at least says he's in for sure, so that's one announcement that is definitive. Is there anybody else you're you're not sure on right now, kind of waiting to see? I, I think it's going to be a matter of on Saturday, guys may not just play. Um, but Kirby said uh, Monday night, or I guess Tuesday night, um, when they arrived, that everybody who's healthy is supposed to play, that the only ones who wouldn't would be injured players. Um, and they're, they're actually kind of plus one. <laughs> on that because coming out of the SEC championship, I said, all right, Bowers, Mims, and McConkie are going to play. Um, well, McConkie's going to play. I, I saw him out there running around in practice yesterday, and he, he said in person today that he's going to play. Um, Bowers and Mims may still get down here to Miami. Uh, whether they would suit up, I, I kind of doubt it. Um, but it, I, I also wouldn't rule out that there's there's a surprise or two. That's not based on any inside information. Heath, it's just this is the way things go. You know, you find out that a guy has you know is dealing with something that it becomes kind of a wink wink nudge nudge. You know, like you know, and my ankle is too bad to play. Um, but there are so like our legitimate injury things like like Bowers and uh, you kind of forget Ra Ra Thomas did not play in the SEC championship. And so I, I don't remember seeing him out there at practice yesterday, so he may not play either. Um, Georgia was, as we were talking with Mike Bobo today about what went wrong in the SEC championship, he didn't use the injury as an excuse or anything, but it does kind of remind you, like we talk about Bowers and McConkie being limited. They didn't even have Ra Ra Thomas. Um, you do kind of wonder what, what it might have looked like if they'd had those guys. So for Georgia, Seth, you've been around this team obviously all year. This is the first game they've played coming off of a loss in 29 games. It's obviously mm-hmm. for many of these guys the first time they've played a postseason that didn't have stakes attached to it much more significant than just a random bowl game like this one. Mentally, as you observe these guys, where are they heading into this thing? Well, they they know how to say all the right things and if you just believe what they're saying and we actually were able to see 15 minutes of practice yesterday we'll see another 15 minutes tomorrow it looks like a normal practice everyone's out there um yeah it's everyone's out there like at a normal amount of people uh and you'd say all right you know they're they're ready to go and this will just they're going to go out there and they're going to pound a Florida State team that's down, I think it's about eight players who have opted out, um, not like transfer players. Like Georgia has, I think at this point, 18 scholarship players in transfer portal. Um, and Makai Muse, the punt returner and receiver, who's a walk-on also. Um, but, 
you know, talking to the Florida State players that are here the last couple days, you do kind of wonder if, like, Georgia may have close to a full roster as far as their key players. But there's going to be a little bit of a drop in motivation. Okay, that's just inevitable. In Florida State's case, they're without all this returning production. But they, the players they do have, maybe there's a little bit more motivation people are giving them credit for because um, they've been hearing a lot of stuff over the last few weeks. That you, you, you wonder if the game could be closer than people think, or at least not the blowout that people are expecting. But I don't know. He's, I mean, with bowl games that are not part of the playoff anymore. You don't don't put much money on these games, people. <laughs> just don't. You just you just you don't know. And this is why, as I've said, I, I've written right again. This is why the twelve team playoff can't come soon enough. Because this is. I'm not going to say this is a waste to have this game, but it, it just is going to be so much better next year when teams like Georgia and Florida State are playing in meaningful games in December rather than glorified exhibitions. That's actually something I talked about in the open earlier, Seth, is I think just having right now the way the sport operates, you basically tell the people who are not hyper-invested in college football, there is a portion that is, but there's also the much more casual fan. You're basically telling them after the playoff is announced, yeah, we'll see you on New Year's Day. You don't need to stay all that mentally invested in anything between now and then. Yeah, sure, whatever. If you want to have the random bowl game going on at 2 in the afternoon on on TV while you're hanging out at Grandma's, that's fine. But but you don't need to pay attention again until New Year's Day. I think having that steady drumbeat of playoff, then another week, building towards it, I think that's going to lift all boats, even though... Uh, the San Antonio game is going to mean every bit as much now as it does a year from now for the bigger picture. I still think people are just going to stay more involved and motivated in college football in general, and that's going to help a little bit here. Yeah, and I've said for years that people within college football have not accounted for the fact that after their championship weekend and before that, before there were championship weekends, that their sport goes dark nationally for four weeks. Like it, it seeds the month of December to the NFL and anybody that wants to jump in and pay attention to the NBA and NHL if they hadn't been before. And then it's just, oh, by the way, here are some, you know, rolled around New Year's Day and, and there were games that mattered. They, they've filled it in with the, you know, Sunbelt team playing the, the WAC team, you know, odd bowl games starting about 10 days after championship weekend and you kind of working your way up, but we are still at the point where there are not meaningful football games, college football games between the first Saturday in December until like around new year's day. Um, but with a 12 team playoff, they're going to like, you're going to immediately jump into it. Like there's not I, I, thinking about the calendar. I'm pretty sure. The, the teams that are the eight teams that are in those first round games are probably not going to miss any days for practice. Like they're probably going to go. I, I don't know what the finals schedules are and everything, but like they're, they're, it, it's, it's not, there's not going to be a respite anymore. And that's going to be good for college football. It's not going to see the month of December anymore to the NFL and the other sports. It's not going to go dark in December and, and that's going to be really good for the sport. Quickly, Seth, just because, as I say, you do more than just the dogs. You also do the rest of the SEC. 
Is there any other team or teams in particular you're most intrigued to get a look at here in the bowl games other than the obvious with Alabama? Yeah, I'm, it, it, that's tough. I mean, I, Tennessee with Amaliva, uh starting, I think that's best for everybody. <laughs> they, they start that year and now uh, just to see how he looks will be interesting. But, man, like I think the most intriguing team in the SEC at this point I mean, does Texas count? Like, I mean, they're, they're, they basically are now, too. Um, but the most intriguing team to me at this point for next year is Ole Miss. I'm not saying they're the best team. I'm saying they're intriguing. Like, are they, are they about to hop in to be the third or fourth contender for a playoff spot in the SEC? Um, but so much of that is because of the guys they're bringing in at the portal, and they're not playing yet. So, I, yeah, I mean, I, off the top of my head, Tennessee is the only one, but maybe I'll, I'll think of another one. Um, I mean, Ole Miss could still be interesting because another part of the reason that they're intriguing for next year is they are returning key players too, like Jackson Dart and Quinchon Junkins and, and, and the receivers. It is a very unusual feeling with them in that with all the kids that they've landed out of the portal – and with the schedule that they got, which is by far one of the most accommodating schedules that is possible in an SEC structured like this one is, like there's very much a feeling, whereas Georgia, look, maybe 24 works out, maybe it doesn't, but you're going to be at the table every single year. With yeah. Ole Miss, there's very much that feeling that, hey, we're putting everything in on 24 because we're not going to have all of this come together like this all at one time every year. That program's history just says that doesn't happen. So. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated to see kind of how they set the table for that, especially after the way things kind of faded out at the end last year for Lane Kiffin. Uh, what what can they do to, to finish strong this year against a, at least a highly respected name in Penn State? Certainly going to be interesting. Seth, appreciate you carving out some time for us. Again, you can follow Seth on Twitter, Seth W. Emerson. See his work at theathletic.com. Appreciate it, man. Enjoy Miami. All right. Thanks, Heath. There you go. Seth Emerson checking in on the dogs in a little bit there on the SEC. Mentioned that Earlier in the program, the bowls are they're challenged now. There's no doubt. I mean, you've got some bowls that are in cities that are not exactly great places to watch outdoor football this time of year. Uh, you have a lack of interest in games that are not the playoff games that has been growing steadily. We saw last night with the Mayo Bowl a whole bunch of stuff during the broadcast. Hey, look at what wacky thing we're eating now and all this, and then the Mayo dump on the coach. We've we've seen some other bowls get creative. I want to single out a couple that I think have come up with some pretty fun ideas to try and juice the energy. If you're going to continue to compete for dollars, if you're not just worried about the TV and you don't care if there's like eight people in the stands, if you're going to try and compete for for eyeballs and dollars to come to your game, I want to give credit to a couple of bowls and have a little fun. That's straight ahead here on the Chuck Oliver Show. More college football talk with the king of college football. It's the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. I was glad that a national TV audience got to see how how Mountaineer Nation really supports our team. And they love football. Garrett did a good job saying that. They do. They love football. It's important to them. And uh, I'm glad they were able to experience a bowl win, too. And uh, I'm sure we'll sell some beer tonight in Charlotte. So uh, uh, everybody will be winning on that. Oh, yes. 
They do. They sell plenty of beer, plenty of other stuff. Heck, they might even sell broken down couches to set on fire when the Mountaineer fans come to town. Nine and four into the season there. That Neil Brown, the coach of West Virginia from a dude who at one point looked like he might be as likely as any Power 5 coach in the country to get fired going into the year. Uh, Most people felt like the only reason he survived last year was because they didn't have the buyout lined up. It was a little pricey for a school like West Virginia that doesn't have unlimited funds like it feels like some of these programs had. But very much the thought was, hey, he's coming into this season, uh, knocking that buyout down a little bit more, and they'll have time to fundraise and plan for the buyout, and and he'll get the bounce this year. And instead, a a 9-4 and season, most wins for them since 2016. Meanwhile, for UNC, uh, longest bowl losing streak in school history with four straight bowl losses. Mac Brown's guys just cannot finish seasons the way that you want to right now. And now we'll see whether or not uh, Mac Brown makes some adjustments on his staff and keeps it moving for another couple of years or, or whether he does look around and say, I've had NFL-level quarterback play with Sam Howell and Drake May back-to-back. Do I think I have another guy who can do that? And if not, is maybe now the time to step aside and and do a handoff with that program. So we'll see what kind of choices get made there. But uh, quite an ending last night. What the best of the Bulls can be for West Virginia and for their fans last night in Charlotte. Time for What Matters to Me Today. That is presented by This Stuff Matters. And as I say, I love the Bulls. I want the Bulls to succeed. But the Bulls also are dealing with challenges. And so part of that is be creative. Find ways to help yourself. Certainly the Bull in Charlotte, that's a game that at one point was sponsored by a tire company, that it was sponsored by a car care company. It's hard to do a lot of fun stuff with those things. They found a way now with the current sponsor, the Mayo, to, to get some attention. Well, likewise, down in Orlando, it's the Pop-Tarts Bowl. It was the Cheez-It Bowl. Now it's the Pop-Tarts Bowl. And that's kind of fun. And so what do we have tonight? We have the first ever edible mascot. Ryan Hopper produces this program today. Ryan, I'm going to ask you to get on the microphone. I don't know if you have seen this or not. Do you know what the flavor is? We have inside info reporting now on what the flavor of the edible Pop-Tart mascot will be. Have you seen this? I have not seen it, but I'm very interested. If you were going to guess guess. what the flavor of the edible Pop-Tart mascot would be, what would you guess? Little known fact about me. Big Pop-Tart guy. Love Pop-Tarts. I'm going to go my favorite, Blueberry. Uh, not a not a bad choice, but at least according to the insider information reported by uh, one Kells Robinette, who uh, covers the uh, K-State Wildcats, according to him, no, it will be Frosted Strawberry will be the edible That's my second guess. Pop-Tart mascot uh, that will be uh, set upon. And uh, it says that uh, they, quote, saw the thing briefly from a distance here at the stadium. It's going to be something. That's a quote. Uh, reporting about the uh, the edible pop tart, so we'll see. We'll see what that looks like. But they didn't just stop there. They said, no, 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 no. It, it's not enough to just have an edible pop tart mascot. Let's do more. So yesterday they had a whole food event with items tied in entirely to pop tarts and Cheez-Its. Here we go, Ryan Hopper. Would you eat it? We have a Cheez-It burger. Absolutely not. 
You would not eat a burger Absolutely with Cheez-Its on it. It's, got, it's a regular burger. It's not made for cheese. It's a burger, but with Cheez-Its mixed in with the cheese. You're not, you're not having it. I'm good. I'll pass. Okay, the review for the person who saw it said pretty dang good, 8 of 10. Huh. What about a Cheez-It grilled cheese with yes. the uh, Cheez-Its mixed in? You, I'm in on that. You would do that. They, they didn't seem that. to like that one as much. They gave it a 5 of 10. Uh, Cheez-It chili dog. Would you do a chili dog with Cheez-Its on top? I would be tempted. Be like kind of like a, a Fritos on it. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's just chopped up Cheez-Its on top of the thing. It says it is, quote, flavorful, had a kick, and was a great hot dog. Yeah. Uh, the Cheez-It mac and cheese nachos. You feeling it? Oh, yeah. All right. Uh, Pop-Tart strawberry cheesecake. Oh, yeah, I'm in. I'm fully in on that. Curiously enough, it says that the uh, Pop-Tart on top of the cheesecake was just too much for me. So they said uh, 4 of 10 on that. And uh, snickerdoodle cookie with a Pop-Tart on top, as well as banana pudding with a mini Pop-Tart on top. You in for those? Good desserts. Good desserts. Uh, so uh, tonight, look, last night they got dudes wolfing down mayo. I assume they're going to show them eating some of this stuff tonight and maybe share the recipes. So if you want to go full process dining for uh, your, your food for New Year's, they may have some options for you. I like the idea of having fun with it. You're in a game that's a minor game. Have fun. Hey, that is what matters to me today. Brought to you, presented by thisstuffmatters.net. All right, time for us to call it a day. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today here on the Chuck Oliver Show. Tomorrow, we get you ready for the rest of the bowl games of the weekend. Check-ins on Texas and Washington, among others. It's pretty big names tomorrow, too. You'll want to be here. We'll see you then here on the Chuck Oliver Show. This morning in North Carolina, wheels are spinning. Determination is winning. A passion is now a thriving business and it shows no signs of slowing down. How? The power of a conversation. Like the one Clint Spiegel had with First Horizon Bank about starting a bike wheel manufacturing facility in Asheville. Now it's not just talk, it's rubber meets road. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Clint. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. The fan is ready for brave season. Are you? 3-1 smoked high in the air, deep center field, and heading for the horizon. A home run by Olsen. We're streaming every game of the Braves 2024 season free on the 680 The Fan app. So make sure you download it now and don't miss a pitch of the Braves this season.